Hi, welcome to the Ellen B. Show. I'm Ellen, your host for this great talk show that informs. You know what I'm talking about. (coughs) I'm coming to you from KZSM.org in San Marcos. KZSM is True Community Radio. If you miss my show, which airs Thursdays from 7 to 8, or my encore Mondays from 8 to 9, you can follow me on SoundCloud or Facebook. Type in the name Ellen, The Ellen B. Show for SoundCloud. Facebook, just Ellen B. Now, before I introduce my guests, I'm going to read my disclaimer so I don't get into any trouble for myself, my guests, or KZSM. Okay, here's a disclaimer, because it's going to be a hot show today. The opinions expressed on this show are those of its hosts and guests and not of the opinions of KCSM or its governing body, SMTXCRA. Okay, I've got a special treat. My two guests, Teresa and Nicole, are poets, and they're coming back for an encore performance. So we're going to read our poetry and our written words, and we're going to discuss whatever comes to our mind And um, I'd like to introduce Teresa Robinson and Nicole Corchero. Sorry. Uh, And I can't believe that we've had the first taping in July. Where'd the time go? And they're back. Okay, so I think, Teresa, you're going to read first. Yes, I'd like to share with you the piece that I wrote on Veterans Day, or for Veterans Day, called The American People. We the people, we the American people, should be an inclusive phrase, but far too often is synonymous with white people. But it should not be an exclusive phrase according to the Constitution of the United States. Some American people don't acknowledge or fail to realize that the Constitution is both a historical and living document. It's not written upon stone, but rather hemp. Words written upon stone tablets are set in place. Hemp, however, is a plant product. As anyone with a green thumb can tell you, when you nurture your plants, they will grow and thrive, just like our Constitution, just like our country. The very reason our Constitution has amendments is so it can be changed through thoughtful process as we nurture our country for its continued growth and success. Founded upon freedom, Yet, historically bound by the ties of discrimination by our founding fathers, who were not gods, but merely a reflection of the prejudices of their time. Over time, we've held these truths to be self-evident that all people, inclusively, are created equal and deserve equal protection under the law. What have the women and men of the armed forces fought for, if not our constitutional rights? When we face injustice, we, the American people, inclusively have a right to protest peacefully. But for people of color, the dominant narrative does not want us to protest at all. There's never a good time for us to protest. It's always too soon or somehow ironically unpatriotic. The American people exclusively only want people of color to protest on our own time and where no one can see us nor hear us. Even when we're not protesting, but in the course of doing some everyday activity, people of color may find ourselves immersed in an impromptu protest when suddenly a 
accosted by a white person who sees the color of their skin as a badge of authority and permission to interrogate a person of color whose skin they see as probable cause. I'll know that the dominant narrative is becoming a little less racist when the media starts questioning why a stranger thinks they have the authority to accost and interrogate any person of color who happens to cross their path. I used to marvel how young people could hold such racist ideas as I would associate with an older person. Then I realized that that was just me being an ageist. I also used to have this bias that cultural inheritance was this positive thing and that only uncultured people were racist. But that was me using a narrow definition of culture. The truth is, grandma's secret recipe for apple pie is passed down to the younger generations along with her racism. One family tradition could be covering up racism like hastily tossing a beautiful throw rug over dog crap just before the guests arrive, pretending that it no longer exists because it's no longer seen. But the family knows it's there because they pivot to avoid stepping in it. If a guest or a friend unaware of the family tradition detects the stench of racism, the family is offended, embarrassed. Look how clean this beautiful throw rug is. How dare you say it stinks? You must be smelling something else. If the unaware accidentally steps in racism, the family denies the experience. Why, that's just the way this throw rug is made. Y'all must make your throw rugs differently where you're from. But why don't you just stand over here if it'll make you feel more comfortable? So we're sidestepping crap, covering up crap, politely not talking about crap, and surprise, surprise, it doesn't go away. The stench lingers because it's fresh crap applied every day. Growing and nurturing the products of racism with roots so deep they extend back down to one to when one's ancestors were immigrants to this land themselves or slaves. All those multicolored huddled masses wave after wave seeking a better life in the land of opportunity, hungry for a seat at the table, but they didn't come empty-handed. They bring the flavors of grandma's secret recipes to the potluck. Remember back in the day when we used to kid ourselves that we the American people were one big melting pot? As any good cook will tell you, you can't throw everything into the pot and expect it to taste good. Some ingredients will clash. What you can do is offer a variety of dishes on a buffet, then have a taste of different things. After all, isn't variety the spice of life? But for every Epicurean, there's always a meat and potato person who just loathes spicy food. The question is, which one is more patriotic? <clears throat> the very manner in which you answer that question reveals how you view what it means to be we the American people. For example, on the surface, you may find it ridiculous to argue whether real chili has beans. But while in Texas, I'll advise you to say it doesn't, which is in agreement to, with the Texas House Concurrent Resolution Number 18, 65th Legislature, Regular Session in 1977. If you want to go a step further, call it chili con carne, even if that's the only Spanish you speak, because for the ancestral Mexican women who created this dish, the border crossed them, not the other way around. And yet, some people would become hotter than chili con carne, at the mere suggestion that this is a 
Mexican dish rather than a Texas dish. After all, everyone knows Texas chili has no beans, which was resolved in legislature. And while we're at it, let's throw in a pinch of cultural appropriation and a dash of historical omissions. Stir slowly from the bottom as it simmers with unacknowledged racism, sexism, and any other ism the PC detectives uncover, because isn't that the American way? We're not going to acknowledge anything bad and let the pot boils over or its context gives us the craps or the crap hits the fan, because that's also the American way. We the people, we the American people, grateful for our freedom and to those who have sworn to defend our Constitution and fight enemies, foreign and domestic. The very least we, the American people, can do to honor our veterans is contribute to and nurture a society worthy of their sacrifice. Wow. Now, I know you were transplanted to Texas. Did you know that Texas truly had no beans? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever had Texas chili. <laughs> well, it, are it, you making? Yeah, uh, well, I, I make lots of chili in different recipes, but it's just interesting when you think, well, why does it take legislature to agree on a recipe, right? But it goes much farther than a recipe. What's considered American? What's considered Texan? Well, I I think it's a good thing that people are starting to talk about all the issues that the man above, who Whoopi Goldberg doesn't even say his name, (laughs) has provoked. I think it's time, because I personally think that these issues have been here for as long as the United States has been a country. And they have been doing some really dirty stuff with uh, the Native Americans, with the uh, African Americans, with the Spanish. So there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I I know we're known for the melting pot. And it's true, we do melt. I mean, you know, I've melted. (laughs) I'm like second or third generation. I like to think of it more of a a, a mosaic. I once talked to a Canadian and she said, you Americans have your melting pot. We Canadians have our mosaic. And I thought, I wish we did have more of a mosaic. Well, I like the fact that, that, you know, if you live next door to me, like I have people live next door to me and they're different than I am. It's great. I learn from them. You know, if they have different ways of doing things, different ways of cooking, I'm fine with that. Teach it to me. I want to learn it. I don't, if I wanted to, if I wanted to live this, you know, with the same type of people, I wouldn't come to Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I'd go back to Brooklyn. (laughs) Well, and some people want to live with people who are exactly like them. And I don't want to. The meat and potatoes people who are perfectly happy with meat and potatoes would never get anything else off the buffet. But that would be a choice. My, my main problem is when people want to dictate to me what I take off the buffet. Speaking of chili, I was part of a, I was a judge on a chili cook-off once. Oh, you did? <laughs> when I first moved here, I went to, was it, they were having a chili cook-off and I was like, yeah, I want to. I want to go try all these chilies. And I, you know, I'm from Illinois, so my mother made chili, you know, growing up. And her chili was, you know, kind of like stewy. There was tomatoes and beans, you know, more than one bean and everything like that. And I walk in the door and they're like, would you like to be a judge for our chili cook-off? 
And I was like, well, can I be a judge? And they were like, sure, you can be a judge. And so there were all these rules and I'm sitting at the table with all these other people and they're, and they have a system. Right. And after trying about five of them, I asked, I was like, do you ever have any chili with beans in it? And this guy just unloaded on me. There's no beans in chili. And it, I had never heard that before. You know, I was... Well, why aren't there beans in chili? Because traditionally it was chili con carne, so you're looking at a meat stew. It's not with beans. But I mean, if you ever... When when I've read this piece twice before, and anyone... Now, none of us are originally from Texas, but if we had a Texas native here, they would have laughed at that line, which they did the first two times I I read it, because it is highly debated. It's It's very offensive if you want to put beans in the chili it's offensive it's not it's not texas chili if it has beans basically it's not chili right well you get to somebody who's just that adamant yeah Yeah. but i say it's not texas chili if it has beans right and um the part that you read about that um no matter what the um person of color does it's always wrong Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you ever seen? Yeah, have I've you, noticed that. Have you no seen, matter what, it's like yeah. it's too little, too much, too loud, too, too loud, quiet, to this, something. to that. And I think though that that's one of the ways the opposites that that's how they that's how they keep people down. That's how they that's that's one way of keeping people down by saying, "Oh, you're you're too loud. You're to this. You're to that. You're to this." And I think that's why I'm telling people. Stand up for what you believe in, in any way, any form you can. Because the Democrats in Texas have not been standing up at all. And I'm saying now's the time, no matter, no matter if it's a little bit, and I'm not talking about any particular group because the people of color have their own. But I'm just talking about in general the, that, that they have, you have to stand up. You have to stand up. Like I was at the uh, farmer's market and I was at, talking to one of the vendors and another person came by and I started talking about politics and he said oh don't talk to them don't say anything about politics I said why not you know and I said well so I mean we didn't go there but I was willing to go there you know because um, you're not supposed to acknowledge the dog crap underneath the pretty throw rug you have you're just to. supposed to and there's a comment lo- about the throw rug right. even and though you know it's a lot smells. of dog there's a no. lot. <laughs> a lot of dog crap under there's the There's a lot. There's a lot. And that's the, o- that's the only way you learn. And I'm sorry if people are uncomfortable about about it. And, you know, you do it in the way that's comfortable for you. For me, that's, that's the all. silver lining about who our president is now. Because he doesn't hold back. That's right. That's like, right. It doesn't matter whether that's I voted right. for him or not. He doesn't avoid speaking his mind when it comes to race. Why no. should anyone else? He is our president. If he is our, you know, he is our leader. If he opens the door, why not walk through it? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. You going to go? Sure. All right. Um, I just have a military story. So to go along with that, it's called Harry Angels. Uh, and this is about my father. My father and I he's kind of funny. He doesn't tell me too many stories. In fact, he hardly tells me really any stories. He's very private uh, person. He doesn't want anyone to know his business. I try to get stories out of him, but, but this is one story he told me when I was about 15 years old, and it's called Harry Angels. Before my dad met my mom, he was in the army. 
It was 1967. He got stationed in Germany where the girls didn't shave their legs. I was 15 when he told me this. He said they had beauty salons there that would style your leg hair Farrah Fawcett style and hairspray it too to stay in place. I thought he was joking, but he wasn't. He said, styled and feathered leg hair in Germany meant you came from a good family. This was the only military story I got from him. Besides him telling me that the German families of the girls over there hated the young military men, and it was really hard to find a date, and how he was glad to be home. Thick, hairy arms, upper lips, and legs. His story made me want to style and comb my own leg hair. So I did, because I come from a good family. That's that's funny. I didn't know I that. Have never, and I don't even know if Farrah Fawcett knows that styling and feathering your leg hair is called the fair. I gotta look this up. Well, he, I'm going by the famous uh, Farrah Fawcett hairstyle that you know she had right. during Charlie's <laughs> Angels. I mean, that's what he said. So I never looked this up. I don't know if it's true or not. It was. It, he said it was true, so it was his truth. So, <laughs> my family too is very hard growing up for them to get for them to to tell their stories about what they did when they were younger or during the war, and and I think that's a disservice. to us big time you know i mean i want to pass on my stories you know to my kids and my grandkids you know i mean that's how okay (laughs) oh we gotta take a break all right we'll be right back bye howdy howdy y'all this is tina your host of the five o'clock friday show join me every friday from five to seven p.m i'll bring you some fantastic music in rock country hip-hop blues and more Don't forget to catch my updates in traffic and community events that are going on around town. The 5 o'clock Friday show, every Friday from 5 to 7 p.m. on KZSN.org. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was etched onto clay tablets, carved into stone, inscribed on parchment, forged into type, converted to bytes and bits and pixels. However the word enters your consciousness, join us Tuesdays 4 to 6 for Bookmarked, all about books and reading in San Marcos and the world. Hi, welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Ellen B. Show with me, Ellen. I'm your host, and I'm coming to you on KZSM from San Marcos, a true community radio. And my guests for today's show is... Teresa and Nicole, and we're reading poetry, and we're just discussing what the what our poems mean to us. So it's my turn. I'm going to read this one, and I don't know why I wrote it, um, but I'm going to read it. I wrote it March 1st, 2018. It's called The Mother's Love. Time to go, said my mother softly. She helped me out of bed. While stepping into my boots, I threw my coat over my PJs. Take my hand, we hurried down the dark stairs and out the door into the waiting vehicle. Isn't dad coming, I asked as, we, as I slipped into the back seat. 
No, she replied, not this time. Weren't you ever afraid, asked my shrink. No, I knew that my mother loved me and would never harm me, I replied. But this time was different, asked the shrink. Yes, this time was different. Usually we would go into the basement where there was food, water, and furniture. While there, we would do different things depending upon her mood. When I was much younger, she would sing songs that her mother sang to her. As I got older, she would tell me stories about her childhood. She loved to talk about her parents and siblings. Some were funny and some were tragic. I always felt that my mother wanted to pass down her life before the war to me. How long would you two stay in the basement? Don't know. She would usually tell me when it was okay to leave. Didn't you ever think your mom strange? No, not at first. She was all I knew, and I thought that all families were like mine. But when I started going to school, I found out differently, and that's when my dad explained it all to me. He said that they came during the night and took her two children away. She never saw them again. They sent her to a work camp in Germany, and that's where my dad met her and then brought her to the United States. After the war, they went back to hunt for her children, but they never found them. My dad said that she couldn't save them, but she was determined to save me. How long did this go on? For many years. It got worse when my dad couldn't work at home anymore, but at that point I was older like in my teens, so I was able to take care of her instead of her taking care of me. Towards the end, the basement wasn't safe enough, so we would take a taxi or sometimes a bus and just travel. Again, at some point, she would tell me it was time to go home. Where did you get money for these trips? My dad and I had a hiding place where we kept cash, which was used for what we would call mom's trips. One time we went by bus all the way to New York and then back home. This trip took a few days. During these trips, I would be in touch with my dad by phone. Weren't you angry at your dad for not helping? But he did help. He worked so that we had food and a roof over our heads. What about your school? My dad had a long talk with my principal and they agreed to work with us. My mom knew that during our trips, I would have to do schoolwork. All this ended one day while I was in my senior year. I came home one day to an empty house. I called my dad. He came home right away. We both sat and waited. Finally, we got a call from mom. She said she loved us and always would, but it was best if she went away for a while. And then what happened, asked my shrink. Nothing. What do you mean nothing, asked my shrink. I have not heard from my mom since. And, asked my shrimp, shrink, and nothing, but I do know that my mom loved me as best as she could. I have no idea where that came from. Oh, that's what a work thought. of fiction? Yeah. Oh. oh. <laughs> well, you had us believe in it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's a work of fiction. <laughs> oh. That was oh, really good. No. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. Oh, wow. You should definitely submit that. Oh, somewhere. no, that's my... No, I was born here. My mother was born here. It's her grandmother. It's her mother that came from Russia. But no, this is a... I don't know, maybe another life. huh? All right. Who's next? I'll go next. All right, go ahead. I call this alien technology. <laughs> alien technology. Well, you know, I used to be a math and science teacher, so sometimes I get to nerd out in my pieces. What math did you teach? Uh, I taught everything but calculus, which still mm-hmm. escapes me, like understanding calculus. I'm glad I never had to teach it. <laughs> but my favorite to teach was algebra because I find that very applicable even for everyday people. Don't have to be an engineer, just understand. And you taught what high school? Um, middle school and high school. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Adult basic education, but that's more arithmetic. A little bit of algebra. All right, let's mm-hmm. hear what you got. <clears throat> 
If ever I were visited by aliens and they wanted to gift me some advanced technology, I'd ask for an, a, a device which would allow me to unscrew up any situation. I realize that would be a large undertaking, at least to my earthly intellect, but there are challenges that cannot be solved by 3D printing solutions. How would that even work? On a very small scale, if you dropped your cell phone causing the screen to crack, then the alien technology could simply reorder the molecules, restoring the screen back to its original wholeness. According to quantum physics, that could happen spontaneously, but the amount of energy it takes for broken material to become unbroken is so great that it doesn't happen. Outside of this alien technology, that is. Also, spontaneously unbreaking a cell phone screen violates the second law of thermodynamics, which my fellow science geeks know as entropy. Entropy is the reason why it takes so much energy to clean up or organize anything, but making a mess is so easy to do. Some would even argue that you're being one with the universe when you revel in disorganization since that's the direction the universe tends towards naturally. Going from highly organized or low entropy to greatly disorganized or high entropy is the way of the universe. Here's an easier example. Take a standard 500-piece jigsaw puzzle freshly dumped out of the box. Just a pile of pieces. Some are stacked on top of the others. Some are facing downward while others are facing upward, and some incredible pieces are propped up on their skinny edges by other pieces. This symbolizes the highest entropy because it's the most random and disorganized. And what do we humans do? Smooth out the pile into a single layer. Ensure all the pieces are turned upward. If we're really good, we separa separate out the edges while we're putting together the non-edges with similar pictures together. Then we get all the edges together and fill in the rest from the edges inward, more or less. Some of the most satisfying things about putting a jigsaw puzzle together is not merely the thrill of organizing something, but also the comfort of knowing that there's only one solution and we have the skill set to reach the gold. Absolutely no confusion. Plus, jigsaw puzzles puzzle pieces, unlike human beings, don't refuse to join together because they all look different. If those pieces had existential awareness, they'd know that they're meant to join together and make a picture. And they'd also know that no two pieces look exactly the same, and yet they all have value in the solution of creating the overall puzzle. But even with alien technology, where would I begin? Mind control or mind erase? Would unscrewing up the world start with taking all the pain that people have caused others and reversing the polarity? Would the world become a better place if all the pain that we caused one another instead directed itself back onto ourselves? Suddenly, the perpetrators would suffer for their own actions rather than their intended victims. Imagine that power dynamic, valuing mutual cooperation to make the best world we could instead of trying to exclude one another as if we're not all part of the same puzzle. From the perspective of the aliens viewing us from afar, how ridiculous does the earthly jigsaw puzzle which actively fights against itself appear? A picture is never completed by a jigsaw puzzle that destroys other pieces. Would aliens reach out to the most empathetic among us and gift us with human-saving technology? Or would they instead start just by smoothing out the pieces? So what, what made you write this one? 
Uh, probably what's been influencing all of my writing lately is politics. I'm so tired of how div- divisive we've been and not getting together as, you know. We, we, we're talking about a lot about the race where I think what's most important is the human race in general. I mean, we are the same species. That's right. So fighting against one another, we all have to breathe air. We all have to eat food. We all have to (laughs) drink. So ultimately, if we're poisoning the waters, I mean, when you look at climate change and how some people deny, and it's like you really are denying that pollution, like we're not becoming more polluted. I mean, on the drive down, Nicole and I were talking about an an issue, which I don't know, I would love for us to talk about it more (laughs) But she took the the way that, oh, this is inhuman. And I'm saying, are you kidding me? There's a there's a way that men can embrace birth control. Like, you know, we're talking about what sex robots or something like that. And she was thinking if more men did that, you know, they could never form relationships with women, you know, human women. And my first thing was we need something to control population. I would love it if more men would have (laughs) sex robots and then we could just see that population decline decline i am all for it we're not going to get a bigger planet i'm serious no so no no I we can, I'm absolutely and and, right. and so i i just thought we may have a solution here <laughs> that that may be what i need to get into is well the, the, how the we talk- can get more of that well, they're talking about more <laughs> sex in uh, in the cars that uh, you're, not, you're not driving. Dr- drive, huh? driverless or, cars. Auto, oh. auto drive cars. That's right. They were talking about that on one of the uh, shows that uh, they'll have more sex. So then they started talking about their, their experience growing up and having sex in the cars. And, oh, God, not me. I had a friend. She used to neck in the cars all the time. I said, what are you, crazy? I thought she was crazy. But anyway, but yeah. um, so the big puzzle of putting our world together instead of the puzzle pieces fighting against one another. And I thought, well, aren't only, we the only only species that kills its own over trivial things, I, I guess. I mean, other species compete, but I mean, like the monkeys don't kill other monkeys, do they? No, yeah, yes. but when when you look at lions, I think the new lion will come into a pride and destroy the previous lion's cubs because he doesn't want that. To, so in, in competition, right, but he doesn't way. kill the whole no, doesn't kill. Well, the, he, he wants the lionesses because they're right. going to be the, the mothers for right. his own pride. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Right. <laughs> that, that, that is interesting. But yeah, what really motivated me about alien technology, one, I got to nerd out, <laughs> you know, be my <laughs> science geek. But two, um, I don't know how anyone thinks that they're going to somehow get a better version of this world while actively trying to destroy the very things that they also need to survive. I don't understand it either. I don't understand how anybody could uh, say climate change is not here. I mean, it's it's so real. I mean, it's like how much how much more does nature have to do? And I always say, never mess 
with nature. I just love your image of the <laughs> spreading out the puzzle pieces and right? you know making sure they're you know face side up and you know getting the corners on all one section because my fiance's mother she always brings over puzzles like during Christmas. And oh, she, does she? She does. She does that. She oh, that the, the, the sweep, out. the sweep of the hand. Oh yeah. Oh. And, I hate doing puzzles. And she's really good at finding. She's really quick at finding. You know, well, what, the same. What I, I, well, the, you know, you're searching, you know, forever. And she's like, doo, 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 you know, putting the little pieces in the right spots. Oh, yeah, I hate puzzles. I'm not, oh. I'm not a, I'm not I'm a, not puzzle. a puzzle. I don't like puzzles either. What I do like yes. are crayons. Crayons? I was a big crayon. Do you remember crayons when you were little? Yes. Yeah, I still remember when the 64 over in the came, box came Ooh. out and you know that was like a big deal if you could the get built the built-in pencil sharpener yes right? you could get the you could get the 64 and um you had way more colors in the 64 are you also uh with adult coloring book books um i prefer that? to do my own doodle doodly doos those are fun to look at yeah see what people come up with yeah yeah so have what? you used the uh, watercolor crayons? No. I have, I don't know if I, watercolor pencils. I don't know if I've used watercolor crayons. That's my next set of illustrations are with watercolor crayons. Oh, yeah. that sounds fun. So I've been using crappy paper, but that medium in order just to get used to. I, I base, and, and really, I, I as a medium, I always thought I would hate watercolors because the colors weren't as yeah, vibrant because right. I'm an oil painter. Mm-hmm. But, you know, living here in Texas, the few months or whatever that it's actually cold and I can't be on my balcony, watercolors are great because it's not noxious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can be inside. The yeah. cleanup is easy. I yes. wouldn't dare oil paint inside unless it was a room dedicated just for that. Yeah. Whereas with these uh, watercolor crayons, I could just set up on my couch right in front of the television, knock it out. And just do it. Mm-hmm. Watercolor is fun. Should I go next? Sure. You want? No, right. go ahead. So this piece is called, my next poem is called Midnight Blue. Mm. Yeah, I, I just really loved my crayons when I was little and I would sit there for hours <laughs> with just the crayons and and so... Midnight Blue. Whatever happened to Midnight Blue? You know the one in my Crayola crayon box. Are you hiding it in your pocket as I shade in my winter gray owl? You know the one in my Crayola crayon box. 64 colors, my own staircase of hues. Midnight Blue, the one I used to sketch out shadows of musicians on dirty street corners. Look in your own box. Have you used up all yours? Or is your own broken and without label? Have you no remorse, stealing from my blues? As I sit here at this drawing table, I wonder, did you help my crayon escape run away on its own? Or is midnight blue on a quest to find the others? Teal blue, lemon yellow, magic mint, and raw umber, the ones Crayola retired. Then again, maybe my midnight blue had to leave because it outgrew its own box. Oh, Midnight Blue, are you somewhere out there, alone, broken, and without a label? Okay, on that note, we have to take a break. We'll be right back. 
experience San Marcos. You could come to the river and jump in or go downtown and take a run around to see all the local merchants. But if you want to feel San Marcos, you need to tune in on Tuesday nights at 9 to 10 p.m. and listen to Downtown Funk with Sammy the Bull playing all the top hits, top grooves, obscure funk from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So if you want to get your groove on and reminisce, or if you want to feel like it was back in the day, tune in on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Hey, San Marcos, this is Virginia from Equality Right Now. Tune in every Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. for lively discussions on gender issues and rights, as well as race and relationship equality. Be sure to check out my Facebook page and tune in to kzsm.org, your true community radio. Okay, welcome back. Uh, you are listening to me, Ellen, the host of the Ellen B. Show, and I'm here with uh, Teresa and Nicole, and we are talking poetry. And I got some poems. It's my turn to read. This is called My Dance. I danced, letting the music and the bajans lift me higher and higher until I became a spinning top, taking me to a place where my body and mind were one. My jealousies, fears, and conflicts were barred. My dance became one of joy and delight, wild abandonment, taking me the highest I've ever been. And there, for a split second, I experienced Sweet love. Oh, this one. I danced. The singing and drumming carried me higher and higher. A tidal wave, no shore in sight. The Bajans created a force field, transporting me. The light came pouring down. My body and mind followed their own path to be united at some point. I like to dance. <laughs> what can I tell you? I got on the dance. What's your favorite we were, type of dancing? Well, I really danced to the old rock and rolls. Okay. So it's the oldies, really. Um, so I got on the dance floor. We were celebrating. I don't want to be too. I want to keep it general. And um, the, well, the music wasn't the oldies. It was, it was okay. I was able to improvise and dance. So I got on the dance floor with about four other women. They were at least 20 years younger than me. And man, did I keep up with them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes, not only that. But I could have kept on going for another hour or so, but I said, nah, enough. But yes, so I love Who's to dance. Who's your favorite to dance to? Oh, oh, I don't know. I just like to dance. It depends okay. Depends on the mood I'm in. Uh-huh. It depends. I have certain favorites. It just sort of depends. And it also depends on the people I'm with because sometimes I don't, I don't dance as, you know. Were you at a I'm wedding? Not as loose, huh? Were you at a wedding? Or no, something? no, no. This With was just other... a celebration. Oh, okay. For the elections. Oh, oh no, okay. we used to dance at the weddings. Oh no, 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 no. But we haven't been to a wedding in a long time. Neither so. have I. And it, it's kind of like I don't really like line dancing, and that that sticks out like a sore thumb when you go to like any black wedding or a celebration for black people, because you know all the line dance songs are going to come out, and it's like, man, I'm almost born in the wrong culture because I like salsa dancing and tango. And oh, you like the tango? Say, yeah, but not not like after the electric slide, I was just like, okay, I'm out. You're out. <laughs> <laughs> and how did I know? I had no idea that it would just become this big thing among black people oh let's get together and do line it's not dancing. for me yeah it's gotta be somebody who doesn't like it right <laughs> but anyway oh. i do keep up with trends and so my next piece um 
It, it, it's a trend piece, okay? So a male friend recently told me of an alarming crisis. Younger men have become so used to having multiple tabs of different pornographic websites open, which they rotate through several times in one setting that they cannot get an erection when they are in the presence of a naked woman since they are under-stimulated. As he articulated the horrors of a heterosexual man who's fortunate to be in the presence of a consenting naked woman and not able to perform, my thoughts drifted elsewhere as they usually do. If the younger generation of men are no longer aroused being intimate with a naked woman, might this possibly be the answer we've been looking for? We, meaning those of us who are concerned about all this rampant fertilization. There are already over 7 billion people in the world. Wouldn't it be wonderful if internet porn became the birth control of choice for younger men? Finally, men can enthusiastically embrace a form of birth control. There are lots of men who claim that the real reason they watch so much porn is that they don't have enough money to have a girlfriend. Let's transform the poor man's plight. Instead of focusing on these guys' lack of money, let's think of all the resources they're saving by not fathering more people to consume them. Now, if we're going to honor men who use internet porn birth control, we shouldn't shame them about about their selective erections. After all, when these guys actually want to reproduce, they can always store some of it in a sperm bank. If this becomes really popular, men will eventually have their own personal sperm banks at home. Plus, and here's the real exciting part, men who have erectile challenges can get the latest designer penile implant, but this isn't your grandfather's penile implant. These are the new and improved devices that can be controlled by an app. Imagine girlfriends or wives using a cell phone app to select from several different vibrator settings. Now, the implant pump that controls the reservoir of saline solution to produce and deflate an erection will still be done manually. Wouldn't want an app to activate an erection at an inappropriate time, you see. Another fine feature will be that women can keep track of their men via the penis tracking app, especially for those powerful men who need reminders to avoid forbidden places. Warnings would be pinged to their penises when they were about to uh, enter certain places. A cloaking feature emanating from the implant will render the penis invisible to cameras, preventing dire consequences during those momentary lapses in judgment when a man tries to take a picture of his penis. Of course, those are the special upgrade features only offered to rich, powerful men who need to be saved from themselves. Poor men, on the other hand, are still expected to exhibit self-control of their penises. As the saying goes, dear fellows, you have no excuse because you have no money. But take heart. All men can truly think on their feet when thinking with their penis. Internet porn birth control, a family planning solution that men will enjoy using. Teresa, I think that's your next nice. TV show. <laughs> My that's next your v- best. That and the sex robots, you know, <laughs> encouraging men to control how many children they bring into the world. Yes. Yes, that's the next. I never thought of porn it just that way. It checks all the boxes. It helps the climate. <laughs> it's cheaper. You don't have to worry about having to take care of, you know, other people who they are creating to, you know, depend. I, yeah, it checks a lot of boxes. So, yeah. 
I'm all for it. Porno. Porn. Okay. Well, you know, every issue has a positive and a negative, right? Right. So I'm just saying that's the positive. Some of the pros. Yeah. All right. I'll have to think of it in that terms and think about that. (laughs) I don't know. There's just something. I'm not. um, I'm not rigid, but there's something about porn that I don't like. Here's what I'm saying. Our planet has a finite set of resources. I mean, it could be infinite if we really did embrace natural uh, renewable energy. But what we do in this country, we have about five planet consumption. So even if the planet could keep up with the amount of resources that we're using, we're using them too much at a, a, at a pace that natural resources can't keep up How with. about if, <laughs> if they just take the male energy, mm-hmm. right, and recycle it throughout their body mm-hmm. and then let it out, just think what it could move. I don't know. I'm thinking we I should I mean, it can somehow- move the tables. It can move the chairs. Just think of what that powerful yeah, why, energy why could just... We, why couldn't we put that with the robots, harness that energy? That's right. And then... Forget yeah. about the oil. We'll hook them up to cars. Fuel, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think we energy? have an idea. I think, you think we so? have an idea. We need to team up with some engineers. We, I think we need to team up with an Aquarius. Huh? <laughs> some Aquarius who has engineering, yeah. I think the next time I talk to a physicist, I'm going to ask, why aren't you doing this? I mean... I mean, the energy is like extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I mean, sexual energy is like... And people are just not using it right. I'm just taking, I'm just really, and, and now my physics We have to recycle it. Well, here's the thing. If we take the mechanical energy of having sex with a sex doll and put it into a generator so it can store it into a battery, I don't see why we don't, except no one has. No, I mean, that's what a generator does. You know what they say, if you can think it, it's possible. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, my uh, my other person, He's uh, he or she is hooked up to a generator. Call me back in 10 minutes. But that is what we, that's what generators do. They take one form of energy and like the whole reason a nuclear plant uses nuclear energy is just to boil water. Right. And that that energy is converted into electricity. Why not? I'm for it. To convert it into electricity. Yeah. I'm for it. I'm for it. <laughs> what are you gonna, what I, I don't are you know gonna where do? to go. I don't know where to go either. <laughs> <laughs> and once again the discussion of physics <laughs> gets the conversation does it does it again <laughs> all right go ahead oh wait a minute Up, oh, you're saved by the bell we're going to take a break do you love listening to great music are you interested in topics that can blow your mind do you like having a good time when listening to the radio if so then listen to end of the gray friday mornings 10 till noon into the Gray is a public interest radio program we can all enjoy. That's Into the Gray, Friday mornings, 10 a.m. until noon on kzsm.org in San Marcos, Texas. Hello, Starshines. This is Chill B. Listen to my radio show, Killzone San Marcos, every Monday at 4.02 p.m. on kzsm.org, your community radio. Later.
Welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to the Ellen B Show with me. I'm your host. And I am here with Teresa and Nicole, and we are reading our poems and discussing life. So Nicole's going to read hers, and it's called what? No One Told Me. Ooh. Go ahead. No one told me that in my 40s, I should be on the lookout for tumors. No one told me these tumors are called fibroids and are non-cancerous. No one told me hormones make these fibroids grow and they're made of connective tissue and blood. And no one told me fibroids are the leading cause of why women have to get a hysterectomy. No one told me if I find these fibroids inside me to get rid of them right away because they can grow bigger. I was told instead to wait it out because they usually do go away after menopause. And that seems logical if you're already in menopause. No one told me an ultrasound only shows half the picture. My ultrasound revealed four fibroids, but actually I had 10. And one of them was twice the size of my uterus. 15 and a half centimeters. No one told me I would eventually have to decide whether to keep my cervix or cut it out. And no one told me how amazing the cervix is, how it protects us from disease. It's literally the front door to our uterus, but with a peephole. No one told me these fibroids were going to make me look and feel pregnant without actually being pregnant. No one told me I'd have to get rid of my uterus one day and that I'd cry about that. No one told me, and that's why I'm telling you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's kind of a, it was kind of a wake-up call. It took me, there's a good ending to this. Okay, go ahead, tell us. It took me seven doctors to find one that would agree to keep my uterus because... I'm 46 and don't want children. You know, 600,000 hysterectomies are performed each year in the U.S. And about 90% of them aren't even necessary. But, you know, they it's a cookie cutter thing. You're 46, you don't want children, hysterectomy. Right. You know, but there are other less invasive procedures out there. And if you don't do your research, I mean, I went in there and I... I knew my stuff and the doctors were like, you know, kind of surprised that I knew so much. And then, mm-hmm. You know, they talk about, you know, losing a lot of blood. And I'm like, well, what about the cell saving procedure? And they're kind of, you know, surprised I knew about that. I haven't had the surgery yet, but positive ending. But I wrote this when, I mean, I was like literally a millimeter close to getting a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. So I just want to talk about that because it's... Well, you know, women don't want to talk about that. And you talk about it and it's kind of considered, you know, just people don't want to talk about stuff like that, you know. Talk about it. I'm talking about it. You know why? Because it's the Ellen B show. (laughs) That's why I'm talking about it. Because that's what you're all about. (laughs) Yes. And you're educating some of the women, you know. Yeah. 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 I know somebody who had fibroids. I didn't even know about fibroids until this person had them, you know. Yeah. Do they run in families? Are they? It does run in families, and um, I remember my grandmother having them. I, she never told me she had them. Right. But I remember at nine years old when we were getting ready in the morning, she was in her 40s or something. She looked, I mean, she looked nine months pregnant, 
and she wasn't pregnant right and she ate healthy she had a garden she didn't overeat she exercised but her everything went right there like she was pregnant and now that you know i look back i'm like wow she she had them but no one ever talked about you know i don't know if she ever had a hysterectomy i don't, I don't know anything because nobody talks <laughs> you know so does your mother talking to you about that now uh I mean, she, my mom had them, but she, hers went away after menopause and she didn't have them like I have. Right, them. you have them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll read one. Uh, let me get it. Sydney's saying we got time. Okay. Oh, okay. I can't read the whole thing, but I'm going to read this one. Um, after the last time that we had the show and you were talking about... Teresa, talking to Teresa. You were talking about the written word, and I kept saying, "Oh yeah," because I was trying to find there was something inside of me that wanted to. I wanted to write in a different way, and I didn't know how to do it other than calling it poetry and not compositions. And then you said the written word, and I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just say I'm going to write the written word, and this is what came. And then, of course, everybody keeps talking about my accent, and they keep asking me, where am I from? So I said, okay, I'm going to write. So it's called That Girl from Brooklyn. <laughs> hey, just call me That Girl from Brooklyn. From birth to 40, Brooklyn laid claim to me. Then I packed up and moved my family out. Living in nature for the next 30 years, I healed. My trees wrapping themselves around me, filling my spaces with their tender love. The mountains giving me morning hugs. And my poetry flourishing, transporting me to places that ease my hunger for something undefined. Born in Brooklyn, but won't die in Brooklyn. I'm a Texas gal now. I can still remember so clearly childhood in the Fort Greene projects where I spent the first 16 years of my life, molding me into a person that didn't fit right, so much so that I had to shed my skin later on in my life so I can continue on. Living in Fort Greene was hard. It became a slum when all the middle-class people moved out, leaving the poor behind. Nowhere for us to go. So we all tried to make the bust of it. No broken-down houses. No men loitering around, no crushed glass in the streets, just violence in the air for me to breathe in all the time, except during those in-between moments when joy would burst in for a second, give me a taste of how it was supposed to be. Just call me that girl from Brooklyn. Fort Greene taught me the art of pretending, pretending so that I can escape the violence that surrounded me day in and day out. I used it so that I wouldn't feel the poverty of mine and others. I had to hide how vulnerable I felt. I was a tough girl with a soft heart, buried so deep that it took me years to dig out. Didn't want anyone to know. Don't get near me. Don't make me angry. I can explode any minute, hurting only myself. Nothing bad could happen to me. I had a garden angel watching over me. So just call me that girl from Brooklyn. Reading saved my life. I remember going into our library, which was within walking distance from my apartment building. No streets to cross. Didn't need anyone to help me get there. I opened the doors and saw all the books on racks across the two rooms. I took a deep breath and entered. This library was my escape into different worlds, taking me far, far away from my own. All my problems and fears were put aside while I read. I was untouchable. The violence that threatened to choke me was not allowed in here. I was free to be anyone and go anywhere. No money nor parental approval was needed. 
My library card was free. All I had to do was be able to write my name. I can still see the librarian standing behind the counter, waiting for me to approach, always with my my seven books. I was a fast reader. All I really wanted to know was how it all ended and whether my characters were safe. I remember the parks. They were large and were within walking distance from Fort Greene. My mom would take us there. We would sit in the grass so close to the earth and let the quietness fill us up. Growing up, I never had a garden, no room for one, but I had my park. I remember the days spent at the many museums in New York that were free. I would roam their halls, getting my full of culture. New York City, so different than Brooklyn, but so important to me. Each year, for as long as I can remember, my mom somehow found the money to buy us tickets to see the ballet, The Nutcracker, sitting high in the second balcony, making the performance so small, but I didn't really care. I was at the theater. There was a small stone Catholic church sitting in the midst of my project, not really belonging. It was well taken care of, no signs of aging, just being strong and solid, as if to say that change happens. I have survived and so will you. Walking away, I was able to take some of its strength with me. Just call me that girl from Brooklyn. Holidays. I love them all. Thanksgiving and that of my Uncle Cal saved me a choice piece before he would set the turkey down on the table. Oh, and how about Halloween? Me and my best friend Sheila would make our hobo costumes every year and go to 64 apartments all within our building yelling trick-or-treat, running up and down the stairs. No elevators for us to beat the other children for the pennies or candy being given out. Celebrating Hanukkah with foods and games, lots of happy noises ringing out in our home. Spending time listening to the older folks talking so I could get a glimpse of what their thoughts were really and not those they kept hidden from us children. Maybe I can learn something that would make my life easier and less frightening, but I never did pick up anything useful. No crumbs. Time to say goodbye. Okay, so I hope you all had a good time. I enjoyed having Teresa and Nicole on the show. Thank you both for coming. Thanks for the invitation. And sharing your poetry and your written words. Um, And I hope my listeners had a good time. I hope you learned a lot. If you want to find out more about KZSM, go to their website. If you'd like to help KZSM, we can use volunteers and donations. Okay, so till next time, I'll leave you with this. It's time. It's time for us to wake up to answer the call, the one that has been ringing so very long, but was so low only a few heard it, and time for us to say no and mean it. It's time for our hearts to guide us and for our minds to take a rest. It's time for us to decide the kind of world we want and then go about the business of creating it. Till next time, be kind, we love you, and have a nice day.